Backyard Farmer is a co-production of Nebraska Public Media and Nebraska Extension. Coming up on Backyard Farmer, we'll hear a warm welcome to the 2023 season and get a spring weather forecast. Welcome to Backyard Farmer. Welcome to another season of Backyard Farmer. I'm Kim Todd. We are so very excited to join you again, answer all of those gardening questions. We've got a great show for you as we kick off season 71. So if you've got those questions ready to go, you can call us at 1-800-676-5446. Those phone volunteers will be happy to help you. If you have pictures to share and they can wait for a future show, send us an email to byf at unl.edu. Tell us where you live, give us as much information as you can so we can give you a good answer. Do not forget to check us out on our YouTube channel. Make sure you also like our Facebook fan page. Before we get to the samples, I do want to quickly thank Tom Larson and Josh Aguiar from the University's School of Music for updating that Backyard Farmer theme music. It was just awesome. Thank you very much for that creativity. We love that new music. We were dancing. So let's get started with some samples. Wayne, you've got crickets. I do have crickets. <laughs> Normally we deal with crickets later in the year, but I brought with me some cave or camel crickets. They get the name because they have the arched backs. Um, let's turn a little bit to the side and you can see they have that arched back over the top end. And they get the other name cave crickets because they tend to dwell in dark places. So I've actually had a few phone calls the last week uh, asking for identification of these cave or camel crickets uh, that people have found in their basements. And the one basement I know for sure um, was also dealing with snake issues. So maybe Dennis may want to go for a visit. I think it's just yeah. garter snakes though. Huh. Nothing too exciting. There. Oh, they're asking to turn it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so they likely got in through the same avenues that the garter snakes are getting in, which they have open paths through the block foundation out to the surrounding soil. So they do burrow a lot. They like those dark places under rocks, logs, in rotting logs, those types of places. They're opportunist feeders. So whatever they find, whether it's decaying plant material, dead insects, live insects, they'll chew on about whatever they can find. And you can just smash them, right? Smash them. Well, one came in on a sticky board, so it was already, it gone. Was already gone. And the other one was half smashed. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Wayne. Dennis, those look like uh, weapons of some sort. Oh, yeah, sort. before we talk about those, so <laughs> things are starting to come up, and it, even though it's really, really brown, we're getting green, crocuses and tulips and even hostas are starting to emerge. And these are veshi, very veggie, and they have a lot of moisture. And deer and rabbits, but we're talking about deer, are going to love to eat that to get that moisture that they're not getting in parts of the state because of our drought. These are probably one of the better things to do that are fairly economical, um, fairly efficient, and safe for everybody. And they're little shockers, and all you do is you put a little peanut butter or acorn scent in the top of these, 
and then the deer will come up. You put, just stick these in the ground uh, right in front of your hostas or wherever, and the deer comes up and sticks its nose, the most sensitive part of its body, and then he'll just back off. And they associate that area with the shock. If you didn't want to, and these just take batteries, and the, the shock's not gonna hurt the deer, or if any children touch it, it doesn't really hurt them either. So you could put these in the Easter basket where you don't want the kids to cause problems, you know. <laughs> they go in there to grab their Easter eggs and and kids stay away. Um, but you can also use these little bags of soap. Now, these deterrents don't work well in the winter, but in the spring, they do work fairly well. And again, this is this ground up salt, um, excuse me, soap, it's first year, I, I start talking again. Um, and the thing is, you can use soap bars or just a ground up soap and hang that right around where you have the plants you don't want the deer to touch. And it hmm. works fine. Interesting. Yeah, that is kind of a nice little unobtrusive thing yeah. for people who have deer. I would right. like to see that demonstration again. I know. <laughs> <laughs> With batteries. With batteries. With batteries. <laughs> All right, Kyle, you have, uh, that looks like chia pet hair. It's uh, some ornamental blue fescue. And I, I thought I was in the, in the hort chair tonight, so I brought, I went to the garden center and brought a plant, but that's actually not true at all. Um, instead, so as we are kind of getting to that time of year when all the parking lots are getting full of different kind of pop-up plant stands, there are some different things that you may find growing in the potting soil. And one of those is likely going to be some slime mold. And so you may just see, you know, you pull it up and there's just all these little kind of balls that are, that are kind of growing there, um, especially in the, in the moist areas. Nothing at all to worry about. Um, they are a fungal-like organism, not, not a true fungus, actually very uh, much more different from a fungus than people are from fungi. So just there's a little bit of information for you. But, um, but yeah, these are these slime molds, as with all slime molds, they're just feeding on woody material that's, that's, in, the, um, that's in the potting soil just waiting for, um, for there to be enough moisture and then they will kind of pop up and spread, but not harming the plant at all. This plant is not doing too well because I let it dry out trying to get the slime mold to kind of, I wanted to, to have some really impressive slime mold and if you kind of stress them a little bit first and then it gives them more water, it can be more impressive. Instead, I was not able to get slime mold climbing up the plant or anything like that. But nothing to worry about if you do see these little dots of kind of white or yellow or even sometimes almost a bluish um, bluish color in the soil or on the soil surface. And you're just, you just can't wait for the real slime mold that people send pictures of. I, they're one of the most fascinating organisms ever. You are correct. All right, John, what do you have? Not nearly as interesting. Not nearly as interesting, <laughs> but important information. Uh, people are calling us and asking online already, when can I plant this? When can I plant that? And people always say, well, I plant this on Good Friday and this on Mother's Day. But really our best information would be to go by the soil temperature, uh, especially for some of those early things that you're gonna put in the vegetable garden. Uh, so people want to plant their lettuce and their onions and their carrots. So you can go out and get yourself a soil thermometer, just like this one, uh, and you can measure the soil temperature and you can start planting those cool season crops when it gets to about 45 degrees. 
uh, and there's uh, you go on up so they're sort of like a range of things so you do lettuce and spinach and and onions and stuff around 45 degrees and when you get to 50 uh, you can get into um, some of the the like beets and turnips and things and then when you get above 60 there we go there we have a, a graphic there uh, 60 is sort of like corn and cucumbers and eggplants peppers and tomatoes then the warmest things are things like melons and um, cantaloupes they need really warm temperatures and that's why you usually mound the soil up to get some airflow around it to heat that soil up really fast. So you can use a thermometer. Uh, it's not a meat thermometer. It needs to be lower reading than, you know, 100, you, if your soil is 180 degrees, probably a little too warm uh, to plant stuff. Uh, or you can also go to the uh, University Crop Watch. So UNL Crop Watch, they have uh, statewide uh, maps with all the temperatures on there on a daily and a weekly average basis. Mm -hmm. And that's a good call out for that because mm -hmm. it, it really is useful to go to crop right. And John, at what temperature do I lay out my lawn chair and, and sun myself? Well, that depends on how brown you want to get. Do you want a broil or do you want... Uh... Oh, just kind of a little bit of browning. Okay, a little bit of browning. Right now, <laughs> go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's have uh, picture questions. You get the very first of the very season, Wayne. Uh, this one uh, and then the... Kyle gets one that follows you, of course. Two pictures on this one. Uh, this is a Lincoln viewer. She says her magnolia tree seems to have a type of fungus. Do you know what this is? And if it is treatable, it did happen at the end of last summer, even though she sent us the pictures in March. Well, this one does not go to Kyle. Mm -mm. Sorry, Kyle, nope. not for you. Uh, it's, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is magnolia scale. Mm -hmm. uh, they overwinter <clears throat> as second instar nymphs and then they mature in that June to July time frame, and then they start laying eggs in August. And so then those eggs will hatch. And so that's really the time to watch for them for treatment is really August. And I think last year we had the suggestion to put double-sided tape on the branches around those. And then you can check that double-sided tape to see where they're crawling up and down the branch. And then you know when to spray a topical insecticide to try and get rid of it. Now, I was wandering around campus today. You can use a dormant oil, but the flower buds are just starting to break and go. Mm. So we're a little late for that early season treatment now. And the other thing that you can do, you can use soil drenches, but you have to use those after the flowers are done so that you don't harm the pollinators that visit those. So your best bet right now is to wait till August, put that double-sided stick tape out and hit the crawlers. Right, and be ready because they are terrible. They, we're losing magnolias on campus. All right, uh, let's see, you have another picture and this one is actually one of your favorite beasties. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she is interested in all creatures and she uh, lives in Lincoln. She could have taken the picture someplace else, but she does want to know what this one is. This is one of our jumping spiders. It doesn't have an English name, it's scientific name already only. And I've, I can remember the first part of the genus, but I can't remember the second part, so I'm not going to bo bother trying and Make something up. Uh, but this is one of our common eastern jumping spiders uh, across the eastern U.S. occurs from Nova Scotia, all the way to Nebraska, down to Florida and Texas, and they overwinter in aggregations under bark. Under bark. Under bark. Excellent. Good to know. I... It's got a lovely little midge there that it's snacking on. A snack. Nice snack. All right. Thank you, Wayne. You have a way cool one. 
Okay. First off, Dennis, uh, and this was a picture taken April 3rd by one of my classes on the north side of Plant Sciences Hall. It's a bat, and they want to know what kind of a bat, and is it normal at 10.30 in the morning to be hanging on a wall? Yeah, it's not unusual, especially in April. Um, probably came out, was feeding, and hasn't got back in. It's a big brown bat, Eptiscus fuscus. Um, I mean, it's, the insects probably weren't out yet, so it's probably just warming itself up. Uh, maybe came out to get some moisture, because they do come out all winter when it's warm, just to get drinks. Mm -hmm. And so it might have came out, and it, that side of the building was probably heating up, and it wanted to thermoregulate to bring its body up, and it's just sunning itself. Just hanging out. Yep. All right, cool. They were fascinated, of course. Yep. Then we had another one that came in this winter, and uh, she said she found this tree frog, and she wonders what you're supposed to do when you find a, a okay. frog. And this was in winter. Right. This is Hylochrysoceles, um, Cope's gray tree frog. It's the only frog, one of the only frogs in the whole United States that has cryoprotectants. <clears throat> its body freezes solid. Mm -hmm. So you can just leave it where it is, and it will be fine. It freezes and stays frozen. What it does is it puts glucose, its liver makes glucose to bathe its organs so they don't freeze, and it puts little gaps in all its muscles, and its body freezes, but it doesn't wake up, and it doesn't change until it takes its first insect meal. So if there's a false spring, it doesn't die. Evolution's so cool. <laughs> and yeah, and so just leave it. They're used to being frozen, and they're used to being, they don't, not like any of our other frogs, they don't go hide. They stay right out under the bark all winter long. That is really fascinating. Yep. All right. Kyle, speaking of magnolias, mm -hmm. <laughs> from the same person, of course, this is also what they saw. This happened at the end of last summer. This is Lincoln also. Yeah, and you know, I think any time you have scale or even aphids or a lot of insects, you're gonna have this black stuff that follows. Um, and so this is sooty mold. Um, sooty mold is not a specific fungus. There's, there's about 10, um, 10 to 12 different genera of fungi that, that comprise sooty mold, but they are not doing anything to the magnolia. And so one interesting thing about animals is when they eat something and they poop. And this the same goes for scale. But scale poops sugar, or honeydew. And the fungus is actually feeding on the honeydew that is, that is produced by the scale that is dropped onto the leaves. And the fungus is, again, not, it's not colonizing the leaf at all. You could actually go out there and probably rub it off with your fingers. Um, could even kind of spray some off with a, with a high pressure hose. But not a problem in, the, in, a, in of itself, but it does indicate that you have some insect issues going on. All right, thanks, Kyle. Your next picture actually uh, came in February, and it is a giant shroom, and they want to know what it is, of course, and is it edible, and this is Plattsmouth. Yeah, so um, first, never eat a mushroom unless you know 100% exactly what it is. We will never give you, um, recommend that you eat a mushroom solely based off of a picture. There are some lookalikes that are out there. So with, with that out of the way, I would not eat this mushroom at all first because it looks way past its prime. Um, 
I don't know what it is. It could be could be a few different things. Um, it might be a kind of an um, a overly mature sulfur shell for chicken of the woods, or another another type of lepidop, um, lepidoran mushroom, or it could even be just another type like a, a Ganoderma that is beginning to um, kind of beginning to spread a little bit more. Really we would need a lot more information than this. And so if you are wanting information about mushroom identification, first thing that we need is pictures not only of the top, but also of the bottom. So we need to know, does the bottom of that mushroom have pores, or does it have gills, does it have hairs? This one probably does not have hairs, either gills or pores. But then also, where did we find it? Was it on a living tree? Was it on a stump? Was it on, did you find it in the dirt? So all that information is very important when identifying mushrooms, but with this one, so first, I, I wouldn't need it. Um, it looks way past its prime, even if it is a chicken of the woods, but um, can't really say for sure exactly what it is. All right. Uh, John, your first one is from Yankton, and this is, she's had this plant for a long time. It's a house plant. She wonders what this one is. So that uh, is a type of peperomia. Uh, so they're sometimes called rubber plants, but there's another plant called rubber plant. So we typically call it peperomia. And I think that species is peperomia obtusifolia, uh, meaning that the ends of the leaves are sort of smashed. They're sort of flat. Uh, there's several different types and they, many of them look very different, um, but this is a common one. All right, excellent, and you have two pictures on this next one. Uh, this, this came to us in March, planted these tomato seeds on the 24th of Feb, a month later that this tall he can't raise his grow lights. Mm -hmm. uh, wonders what he can do until it's time to plant them outside. Well, I mean, you could try to move them somewhere else. Um, you got them started a little early. Um, you know, we typically don't start them until March, and I think he started them in, in February. Yep. Yep. Um, and so moving, moving them to a bright sunny window uh, would be <clears throat> something to do. Um, you know, you could also sort of try to move them around and, um, you know, you can't do much with those lights. If you had flatter lights, you have a little bit more room, uh, more like a, an LED light or like a, a UV light, uh, some sort, instead of the bulbs. <laughs> All right, excellent. Well, you know, we had a fantastic time celebrating our 70th birthday last year. With new seasons come new challenges for our gardeners. Let's take a few minutes to hear what we've got in store for you this year on Backyard Farmer. What a great place to launch our 71st season of Backyard Farmer. Coming to you from the top of the Capitol in Lincoln, Nebraska. Of course, we can't see to the borders of the state, but we connect with you, the people, through our expertise, our enthusiasm, and of course, a whole lot of fun. And this season, during this year, what we really want to do is connect the people to the plants in all those ways that are essential, that end up being a healthy mind, a healthy body, a healthy spirit, and of course, a healthy planet. We started with that beautiful, expansive vista of the landscape, but maybe you don't have that much room for plants in your life. Maybe it is an office or it's a deck. You've got room for one, maybe a dozen. No matter, the connection between plants and people is absolutely essential, especially if you're inside all the time. So perhaps you like plants that flower like this orchid. Maybe you have a brown thumb. If so, start with those succulents. 
just don't give them too much to drink. No matter how you want to come to plants, remember that what it, they really do is they help your mental capacity, they make you happier, they help you breathe, of course, and they're gonna make everybody else around you happier as well. Plants are essential to life on Earth, and that's whether you eat the plants or you eat the animals that eat the plants. And maybe rather than growing plants for beauty at home, you'd like to try growing some things hydroponically. Now obviously, to be able to get tomatoes like this in giant buckets or lettuces or spinach, it's going to require a little bit of a setup, but it's not impossible. It doesn't have to be huge, and there are great systems available to allow you to do a little bit of experimentation with how to actually grow some vegetables or some herbs, of course, for you to eat in your own home, on your deck, in your office even, if you have enough light and you're willing to try to give it a shot. Of course, we're anticipating the start of spring and the start of the backyard farmer season. Our backyard farmer garden right now is gray and brown, but in a few weeks, it will be lush and beautiful with all those wonderful plants to eat, all those beautiful plants to bring beauty into your life. And of course, the strength of that plant-people connection is us answering the questions from you on Backyard Farmer. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. Hopefully, we can also help you grow your own food, keep that landscape looking fantastic. All right, your next question, two pictures. This is from Western uh, Oto County. They saw him uh, last fall and they nicknamed him Popeye. So what is this guy? That's a good name. It fits. Yep. So what Sounds is like it? an entomologist to me. Yeah. <laughs> we like to be a little more descriptive with our names. <laughs> like yellow-eyed something something yeah uh, this is a an eastern tiger swallowtail caterpillar mm -hmm. so when they saw it it was probably wandering around looking for a nice secluded hidden spot to turn into the chrysalis and spend the winter in the chrysalis stage so that pupa stage and that that's full size so perfect get much bigger love it that. they are pretty cool okay so our next one is uh, what is on uh, the bur oak trees this is a long island kansas viewer and the trees are 20 years old four out of the eight have it is it harmful it's not harmful to the overall tree it's more of an eyesore than anything mm -hmm. but this is rough oak bullet no, excuse me oak rough bullet gall mm -hmm. is what that is and that's a large aggregation you can find them singly or in like that but if they're really bothering you pick them off of what you can reach or clip that one off and then get rid of it. That's right. about the worst. Yeah. We have some on campus too now. Yep, they are around. All right, Dennis, your first one. Uh, this is an Elkhorn viewer. Um, they want to know what animal is making this nest in their bluegrass fescue lawn. There's no soil from digging below the sod right. and it's shallow. It's probably <clears throat> either a vole or a mouse, a deer mouse. Um, and there, they were, there wasn't a lot of snow cover, so they're using the mulch. All right, so it's like it's just under there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you have two pictures on this next one, and I, you could have a million this year, yeah, probably. Yeah, we're getting a lot of this. this She's all corn. Yeah, yeah, this is all rabbit damage. Again, with a drought in a good part of the state, there wasn't a lot of that green vegetation when we went into the winter, and they needed their sugar and their moisture, and the rabbits just went hog wild, any place where there weren't fox, places like Lancaster County, Lincoln, where we, our fox population's getting better, 
rabbits aren't a problem in most parts I've been hearing. Mm -hmm. uh, because rabbits, that's their main diet. I mean, excuse me, fox, their main diet is rabbits. So mm -hmm. we embrace the fox and you won't have as many rabbits. <laughs> well, they're also wondering uh, if these should be pruned back. Will they come out of it with all that rabbit damage? That's a horticultural. I know. <laughs> looks like they're girdled all the way. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, sure does. I'd the rabbits will come back. If that's, yeah. <laughs> the plants, on the other hand, it's it's hard to know. I think probably they should wait. prune at ground level. Prune at ground level and see what happens. Or prune like this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All righty. Okay. Uh, let's see. You had another one from the same person. That so we don't need to answer it again. Right. Pathology. Your next one, Kyle. Uh, this is a Lincoln viewer. This crab apple was planted about 10 years ago. A couple years ago, the new growth looked really weird, short, stunted black. Gave up, cut it down. This was on the roots. What is it? Is it in the soil? And can another tree be planted in the same location? Yeah. So there, there's really a few a few things going on with this. And it's the, what first kind of struck me was that gigantic root that's going completely horizontal that's not normal for a crab apple, I don't think. Um, but that kind of bulbousy growth on the other side, that's crown gall. And so crown gall is a bacteria. Um, it's, it has, can infect most of our woody plants that are, that are out there. If you would plant another crab apple in that same area, that would likely get crown gall as well. Um, not a whole lot to do, but you can look for, there are some varieties that are more resistant than others. Great, all right, and your next one uh, is a uh, Palmyra viewer has a Reliance peach that has started oozing this black stuff. Should they do something about it? Uh, start preparing for another peach tree. <laughs> so that is bacterial canker um, caused by a pseudomonas. And as it warms up and we get some moisture, that bacteria just starts to ooze out of the, ooze out of, ooze out of the canker. With it being on the central trunk there, not a whole lot to do aside from prepare for another peach tree. <laughs> All right. John, this is a you know, Lincoln viewer, saw this particular plant in Iowa and fell in love with it. Can you identify? <laughs> that is a standing cypress, uh, and it's an interesting plant. Uh, it's biennial, so the, the first year growth uh, is sort of uh, just the leaves, and then the second year it blooms. Um, it's a little hardier to the south of us, uh, so you could get killback if you're in parts of Nebraska. Uh, it's a zone six plant. Some places it'll live it's if it's protected or not. Um, but you know, it's a pretty uh, easy plant to grow and uh, really beautiful, and um, it really feeds pollinators like hummingbirds. Exactly, mm -hmm. wonderful plant. All right, and then you have one that is also a Lincoln viewer. They have a whole line of these ornamental grasses. I think we have two picks here. Uh, what should they do about them? They look like this now, every single one of them. So your, your donut grasses here. So this ha happens when we have perennial plants, multi-stem perennial plants in a place for a very long time. Uh, what happens is the plant is growing outward uh, and the inside kind of dies out because there's not as many nutrients and, and things uh, of that nature. So really, you know, the plant is okay. What you have to do is dig it up, sort of separate it out. You can put a, you know, a piece of the good back in that hole and then you have more, you can separate it into like maybe three, four, five pieces and, you know, put it out. But the plant is fine, it's just old. 
is tired. We all look a little tired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, one of our very best traditions on Backyard Farmer is that weekly visit to our garden. There's not much growing right now outside, but here is Terry James to show us what's going on inside the greenhouse for the Backyard Farmer garden. Welcome to the Backyard Farmer Garden. We're so excited to spend 2023 summer gardening season with you. We are excited about all the new stuff that we have out in our garden and we're excited to be able to share that with you. We have some new raised beds that went in last fall. We're just waiting for everything to warm up. We do have one bed that is just planted this week so that we'll be able to get some of those cool season crops up and going. We are excited about all the new seeds that we've started. We have lots of coleus to be able to get out and we're looking for some great designs that we're gonna be able to show off throughout our garden. We've been super busy in the greenhouse too. We have lots of seeds that have been started. They're up and going. Uh, and we're about ready to put our pansies outside that we started in January. So lots of color that's gonna be in the garden here soon. So make sure that you keep tuned in and you stop by the garden frequently because things are going to change here really quick as it warms up. So stop by the Backyard Farmer Garden and check it out. Of course, we can't wait for those warmer days and giving you a peek every week at how things progress. It's really going to be another great season out at that garden. Before we go to break, I want to remember a really good friend and former Backyard Farmer panelist, Don Steiniger. He was an amazing person, an incredible horticulturist, served on our program for over 30 years. We will miss him greatly. Great sense of humor, really didn't like the, the uh, limelight, but he was, a, he was a wonderful horticulturist. So do stay tuned for more Backyard Farmer right after these messages. Right now, of course, it is time for the lightning round. Are you ready, John? I am ready. I've come out of hibernation and I am defrosted and ready to go. All right, we got one minute. Are you ready? If I... you cut off a cedar seedling below the lowest branch, will it die? Yes. Scotch pines succumb to pine wilt here in Lincoln. Are there suggestions for replacements? Uh, not a scotch pine. <laughs> Not a scotch. <laughs> That's a cop-out. <laughs> Third one, should we in the dry parts of the state be watering now? Uh, you can, for, if, it's, if it's warm, you can be watering. If it's still below freezing, don't. All right. Um, we have a viewer who wants to know if there are cultivars of apples, peaches, and pears that are considered more drought resistant. Um, not necessarily cultivars, but there might be some uh, some rootstocks that you can better uh, weather some drought. All right, uh, this is an Omaha viewer who wants to know whether strawberries planted in containers will survive the winter. Uh, they will, but you want to protect the container because you don't want the roots to freeze. All right, uh, we have a viewer who wants to know whether it's okay to cut back the flower beds now and then replace the mulch with all of our swings in temperature. Uh, I would wait until the nighttime temperatures are above about 50 degrees so we don't have our insects and uh, pollinators and all of our friends upset. Cool. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay, Kyle, ready? Doesn't matter if I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We have a viewer uh, who found white dusty mold under the mulch as she was sort of cleaning up and she is wondering, is it dangerous? Nope. And then the second question is, 
How does she handle it? I would just leave it. Um, you can give it a little bit more water. It might may sprout into a really cool slime mold, um, but really nothing to worry about with it. So. All right. Uh, this is a viewer who said that they left their peach mummies on the ground last year, last year, and they're wondering, is it too late to keep whatever the disease is that mummified them from spreading? Uh, it's probably, but I, you can still get out there and maybe reduce some inoculum. All right. Uh, a viewer last year said their Roma tomatoes got flattened out and they had a brown spot on the bottom. What was that? Blossom end rot, lack of calcium. All right. Uh, we have a viewer who wonders if they put the strawberries with that gray mold in the compost, will the compost be contaminated? Yes. What is your prediction for morels this year? It's interesting. I was actually just talking about this with someone earlier today. This week has been so weird with it being hot and cold and wet and dry. We really don't, maybe this weekend there might be some popping up, but I always look for the galls on cedar trees. And once you see those galls pop in orange, that's when you should go out and look for morels. All right. So awesome. You should have asked him that question first, so he would have... That's right. So a lower yeah. score. So she, she asked me a slime mold question for, I mean, that's just as bad. I, I was going to ask you to say more. <laughs> All right. Dennis, are you ready? Yes. We have, uh, we have a viewer who wants to know whether the wi that wire that you talk about that can keep birds from roosting. Yes, Nexolite. <laughs> and the question <laughs> is, can it be purchased locally? Not that I know of. On the line. All right. Um, we have a viewer who has heard that... Putting dryer sheets, you know, those dryer sheets. No, things. they don't, they're that repellent for anything. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I have asked you these questions too often. <laughs> in my mind. All right, we have foxes screaming at dusk. Why are they screaming? It's, that's the way they talk to each other. It's their language. It's like toddlers or... You know, people are distressed. That's just their language. All right. Actually, my students asked me this morning, how far east do the antelopes roam? Not through the whole state of Nebraska, only the western part of Nebraska, probably mainly in the Panhandle, but they will get to the Sandhills. All right. Uh, this is a Hickman viewer who wants to know how to get rid of what she thinks is a rat and do it without poison. Trapping it. A big rat trap and use something for bait like peanut butter. All right, nice job. A little off the rails on that one, but that's okay. <laughs> this whole show is off the rails. Yeah. Right. First show of the season. Okay, are you ready? A little rusty, but I think we'll be okay. Uh -huh. All right, this is uh, from a viewer who wants to know whether pyrethrin is the best product for clover mites, especially in the house. It's not gonna matter. That won't affect them at all. Vacuum and dump. Vacuum, vacuum and dump, all right. A viewer uh, wonders if they cut down the stems of their perennials and grasses now, will that destroy any of the good overwintering insects? If they are looking for the pollinators, no it won't because they nest in the prior year's dead stems. So cut them off at six to eight inches. Okay. Uh, a, a viewer in York wants to know how to control fungus gnats in soil. Indoors, don't water your plants as much. All right. Um, this is a viewer in the Beamer area. Had spider mites all over the roses last year and wonders how to prevent it this year. Oh, hopefully the weather's nicer. Hose them off. All right. Uh, a shield-shaped gray bug they think was a stink bug destroyed things last year. The leaves, not the fruit. How to destroy them? 
That sounds not mm, right. That sounds odd. Could be a stink bug. Um, we had lots of things getting into weird places last year because of the drought. Yeah. My guess is um, use like a permethrin type product to cool. get after those. Looks to me like we had a tie, so you guys are going to have to pass this around. Well, of course, well, not, not on this end. Back. Yeah, oh, not on that. Yeah, those two ends. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There we go. There we go. It's All right. So, fight over that. POTW, John. <clears throat> Plants of the week. So it is spring, and spring is sprunging, and we have stuff out blooming. So this uh, lovely white plant here, some people call it a white forsythia. You will notice it is not yellow, does not look like forsythia. Um, because it doesn't really have another good common name uh, other than the Latin name Abiliophyllum disicum. <laughs> Uh, say that five times fast. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, Korean, it's fast growing, it is very fragrant, uh, about a, a five to six foot uh, spread, uh, and uh, will grow in part shade with some protection. Then of course, uh, with spring come the daffodils. Uh, those are uh, lovely and easy to grow, and most animals will eat them. <laughs> exactly, all right. Here we go with uh, two questions. First on this one, this is Japanese beetle infestation. Any thoughts on how we uh, get rid of Japanese beetles effectively? Oh, I read through this question and I just, it, it's a perfect storm. Neighbors are using the pheromone traps and I, I actually had someone call this week asking about pheromone trap and it's, it, it's not a great idea because you invite everybody to the party in your yard right. or your neighborhood. So, just yeah. Hope it's, just hope the population crashes. You can hope that, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. All right, yeah, and that is uh, terrible. It's the peach and the pit on these yeah, this next pictures. I think the, the remnant next one is the, picture is the is remnant. Sad. Of the, yeah. <laughs> because it never made it to someone's mouth to enjoy. Well, it did. The Japanese beetle. <laughs> right. <laughs> someone, not something. Right. All right. Thank you, Wayne. Oh. Your next one, Dennis. Um, yeah. Let's see. This is Springfield. They want to know what this is. They found it outside the door on the east side of the house. They poked it. They've never seen anything like it. Yeah, before. it's not an egg and it has nothing to do with a reptile or amphibian. We were discussing it. Uh, Kim thought she saw an eye, which it could be a very immature aborted opossum, but it's a little early for that. Um, but without having it in hand, it's dead, it's gonna rot, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> you have two questions, or two pictures on this next one, Dennis. This is an Omaha viewer. They wonder, is this a nest for a bird or is it bagworms? No, it's a, it's a bird nest. Um, it, it looks big enough that it's not a, a weaver nest, but probably a Oreo. Yeah, Baltimore, or one of those yeah, beautiful Yeah, Baltimore or Orchard, yeah. Orchard Oreo. Okay. All right, Kyle, uh, you have a little more time on this one, perhaps, but right. this is, uh, when is the ideal time to treat for rust on the flowering pears? And they wanted to be able to do this before April 15th, is, if this is the time. Yep, yeah, so we're just getting up to that window. Um, the ideally, so one, once we see symptoms like this, it's, it's way too late to do anything. You want to do your first application of a fungicide kind of right as those those flowers and leaves are beginning to break from the buds. So at least on, on my flowering pears, they're, the buds are swollen, but they're not breaking yet. So I would still wait a little bit. Um, 
but then you want to come back about two weeks later with another fungicide application um, and to, to hit the tree a second time, and that should give you decent control throughout the season. A product that, that contains chlorothalonil or something like Captan or a copper product work fairly well for it. And if you really don't like it, cut them down. Cut them down, level. yep. Or just enjoy having leaves that look like they've been spray painted orange. <laughs> all right, you have one more, and this is actually all, this is a Gretna viewer. Uh, Sergeant Crabapple, which is a shrub form for over 30 years. Some of the branches have gotten black, it blooms nicely, but then it has the small red crab apples and they have looked like this and then they dry up. What's that? Yeah, so this could be um, another, a, a different type of rust as well that is actually um, hitting the fruit. They're the gymnosporangium rust, so they move from cedar trees or junipers into a, a rosaceous host. And they just go back and forth each year and that's what we're seeing here. Again, um, once we get to this point, too late to do anything, but if you were thinking about a, a chemical control right before those flowers and leaves are beginning to break from the bud, that's the time to do it. All right, thanks, Kyle. This is a fun ID because uh, what it looks like and what it is are not the same thing, John. She got this from uh, a place last, last year. She wondered, it's shrub-like, two feet tall. She wonders what it is and whether she should expect it to overwinter. Well, isn't that pretty? And it looks like what would be like a tall phlox or something like that. Um, the good news is that it's a beautiful plant. The bad news is it's not going to come back. It's a tropical plumbago. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that, that garden center sold it as sort of like an annual. Uh, you can grow it as a house plant uh, if you really want to. Uh, and I have to sort of give a, a kudos to my colleague, Scott Evans, our uh, horticultural associate in our office. He's a bigger plant nerd than I am. And I said, what kind of phlox is this? And he said, no, it's a plumbago. So, <laughs> oh, well, there we go. Well, and he said that because I thought, you know, I, it's awfully blue to be a Flocks, right. Yeah. But the petals are not exactly plumbago. Mm -hmm. So you'll see this all over in California and places like mm -hmm. that. It is beautiful. One more picture, uh, and this one actually is a creeping phlox. <laughs> right. uh, this person is from Aurora. They say it's a very steep slope covered with limestone and then planted this. Mm -hmm. It looks like this. What should should they prune out those pieces or will those dead things come back? So you can prune that out uh, if you want to, but you know the, the live part that's still living, it will eventually grow and fill that in. So it's really up to you. If it's too steep to get up there, don't worry about it. All right, thank you, John. Well, you know, we have been in a terrible drought in some parts of the state, and of course that's going to show itself this year. There's also some hope for some really good rainfall to help us out. We've got a brief weather forecast for this spring from UNL's High Plains Regional Climate Center. Here's climatologist Gannon Rush to tell us more. The state of Nebraska is obviously in much better shape than last year. We had a lot of wintertime precipitation, even if it was limited to just rain here in the southeast part of the state. The western part of the state had near record, two record snowfall, which is tremendous for the current drought situation. If you kind of look back at this time last year, there was wildfires, high winds, and this year it's still snowing in parts of the state, which is awesome to see. Obviously, looking ahead towards this spring and early summer, we have, we've been transitioning from a La Nina for the past three years, which has been predominantly drier and colder here, and going into a Enzo Neutral, which that means anything's on the table for the state of Nebraska. And if you look at the Climate Prediction Center's outlooks for the next three months, 
you see that Nebraska is in equal chances of above or below normal precipitation and temperature. However, if you look to the south for temperature, you see that Kansas has chances for above normal temperatures. And if you look to the north, you see that North Dakota has chances for below normal temperatures. What this means is we're kind of in the middle, so there's a wide range of possibilities. We could have warmer temperatures show up. We could have colder temperatures show up. There's a lot of things that can happen. Especially with precipitation being equal, you know, we could have dry spells, we could have periods of a lot of rain, we could have more severe weather. It's a very open-ended thing and you can't really make any assumptions, which is unfortunate, but given our past winter this year, I'm very optimistic that we're in good shape and that we should be fine regardless of what happens. So before this past winter, southwest Nebraska and northeast Nebraska were heavily impacted by drought. And after this past winter, both places have gotten ample snowfall and precipitation, and that has greatly improved the drought situation there. Obviously, southeastern Nebraska didn't have as much snowfall, which kind of limits their drought improvement. However, they had plenty of rainfall, which kind of really, it's not a slow sinking in kind of precipitation, but it's still beneficial. And obviously, northwestern part of Nebraska wasn't as heavily drought affected, but it got tremendous amount of snowfall this winter. So the situation there is in great shape and they should have plenty of soil recharge this spring and into early summer. We've had some really good moisture already this spring and of course we hope that continues as we get further into the growing season. Do keep in mind if you are wanting to grow plants right, the right way, you can always check out our educational features on the Backyard Farmer YouTube channel. Take a few minutes after the show, check out those past shows and those features, and while you are there, do not forget to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss out on all that new content. We are pretty good about that. All right, uh, last picture round. You are first up, Wayne. This is a hi from Grand Island. They think, uh, geez, this looks like bagworms on the side of a building. Are they? Why would they do that? And what should they do? Remove them or will they have already spread to the trees on the uh, next to the building? Well, they were bailing on whatever they were feeding on, probably because they're overcrowded. Mm -hmm. And that's usually when they're moving. Uh, they have not spread. The eggs would be inside the females' cases right now. And then they usually hatch somewhere in that June to July time frame, depending on the, the way the season's going. So they can pick those off right now and get them disposed of, actually Squish. help mm -hmm. not have them. All right, excellent. Uh, you have a second one, which is uh, a, a really, again, most of all our viewers are good, but this one is a very loyal. He said he was doing some brush clearing. He noticed a mantis egg case. He's from Papillion. He wants to pass it along as a reminder to do what? Well, they can leave it. I would say this is actually an invasive praying mantis. This is a Chinese praying mantis egg case, not one of our natives. Mm -hmm. And so take it as that. You can either get rid of it because it's an invasive or you can keep it and watch it indiscriminately eat whatever it can catch. Including the one that we want to keep. And yeah, they'll eat pollinators, and if, if you really want a grotesque scene, you can go on YouTube and find them eating hummingbirds. Yeah, no, yeah, no, we're not, yeah, no, we're not watching that. <laughs> All right, Dennis, uh, yes. let's see. This is an Omaha viewer, and they want to know whether you can identify this baby snake. They found it March 29th while they were raking out the flowers. Right. It says not a baby. It's a full-grown 
Uh, decays brown snake. They eat slugs and they put that small head into land snails and eat land snails. It appears to be a female and it appears to be full grown and they're full grown at about six to eight inches. So they're good guys. They're good guys. Well, yeah. all snakes are well, good guys. I knew you were going to say that. That was okay. your opening, right? Yep. Yeah. So is it is it unusual to see? No, them they're right very now? cold tolerant. Okay. All right. That was kind of the next question. And then you have uh, a question from a Lincoln viewer who said some creature has been using this area as a latrine, and she's seen foxes, cats, raccoons, opossums, and an occasional turkey. It's none of those. Um, I and we talked about this, this is termite carton. So it is kind of a latrine, it's the defecation and saliva of termites uh, making what they call a carton. And we have a consensus on that yeah. with entomologists. So worry about termites, which are much smaller than the animals you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they do a lot more damage to your home. And have somebody come take a look. <laughs> yeah, look at, yeah, because they may be in the home if that's close to the home. All right. Kyle, let's see. You have uh, three picks here. Your first one is, this is a Seward viewer who says these are not their shrub roses, but there's a whole line of them along the neighbor's fence and they're mulched with rock. They've bloomed nicely, but they've got this huge big wad of, of dead looking stuff on the ends of the canes. What is that? Yeah, so I think that this is potentially rose rosette disease. Um, used to be rose rosette virus, but then there's a mite that's involved, a, a microscopic irified mite, and so now it's rose rosette disease can cause a whole bunch of different symptoms, which is brooming when you get that, basically just a wad of stuff, proliferation of flowers, proliferation of thorns, just abnormal growth. And unfortunately, there's really nothing that one can do um, aside from getting rid of it. All right, uh, they're not gonna like that, but no. that's okay. So your second one is also a, a, a rose, and this is a Lincoln viewer who said it looked like this late last summer. They're wondering if they should treat it. They don't want it to spread, and she says the thorns are sort of soft. Yeah, and this is most likely rose rosette diseases. Again, um, slightly different symptomology, but depending on the cultivar, they will have different responses to it. Um, could also just be that you have the mite and not the actual virus, um, and the, the mite feeding can cause that proliferation of thorns. But again, don't, there's really nothing to treat. Um, miticides sometimes work on really high value rose plantings, but generally you're just going to have to put a new plant in there. I do know they had quite a problem this year in Sunken Gardens. Yep, they did, and it's year. and unfortunately, you know, it's the the rose rosette disease. It gets everywhere into the roots as well, and so if when you are removing those plants, you need to make sure that you are removing the entire plant, hmm. not just cutting off the infected canes. All right, thank you, Kyle. Uh, let's see, John, you have actually a little more time. Oh no, one more for oh. Kyle. Sorry, another rose. I forgot. So this is a Fall City viewer. Mm -hmm. They didn't think. The shrub roses got this disease, but last year theirs did. They think it's black spot. And they are right. Anything they can do this spring so it won't happen again. They don't use an overhead irrigation system. Um, a preventative fungicide um, would, be, would be effective. A lot of our new, the, the newer rose varieties um, are resistant to black spot of rose. On campus, we used to be able to find it pretty regularly, but since they've replaced a lot of those roses, we really can't. Um, but you, when it warms up a little bit more and starts getting a little bit wetter, 
then you would want to think about some sort of protective fungicide application, something like chlorothalonil should work. All right, all right, now it's your turn, John. So Hi, this is a viewer in Wakefield, two quaking aspens in the front yard, two or three years old. They both had damage when they were delivered and planted. One tree is the stronger, but shortly after it was planted, the leader died and broke off, put on a new leader. But there's a three inch piece of the original trunk that extends and has two decent branches. Should they cut that off above the leader or is it okay to leave it? My inclination would be to remove that. It just is going to cause you trouble down the line. You're gonna have a competing leader. One of those branches from that might try to grow out. Also, I don't like that, that piece of dead branch sticking up there. That can be a pathway for diseases and insects to get into the tree. Yeah, and probably ideally they would have said to that provider, let's, let's yes. bring a different tree that yeah. hasn't been damaged. All yeah. right. Uh, your second one here is, uh, it's kind of a turf question, but not really. <laughs> this is a Lincoln viewer who has a million acorns in the backyard, can't rake them, the lawnmower bagger won't pick them up, and the squirrels aren't even eating them all, Dennis. They're wondering if they're going to have a yard of oak trees, and if so, what can they do about that? You probably will. So once they start germinating, they'll come up, they'll be tiny little oak trees. You can just mow them down. Uh, that'll be fine. Uh, if you really want to get rid of those, you can get um, uh, a device that folks use to pick up things like nuts and fruits off of the ground. It's a little round cage on like a long pole and you just run it along and it picks up all the nuts. Uh, and so you can, you can do that if you really want to. And I've seen them use that under the swamp white oaks here right. in Lincoln. It looks like one of those little things that little kids use that goes pop, pop, pop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we all seem to know what that is. John, since you've got short shrift, since we were a little behind, I'm gonna ask you a question since we still have some time. Okay. This is a viewer who has not been able to grow peppers effectively mm -hmm. and wonders what are, the, what are the tricks for growing peppers? Peppers are one of the trickier vegetables to grow for a lot of people. Um, some of it has to do with temperatures. If you notice, like we typically want to get out and plant those things early in May, uh, and you know the soil temperature just isn't there, so they sit there until the soil temperature warms up, uh, warm enough for them to get good root growth. So sometimes we're actually planting them a little bit too early. Um, another thing is to to think about, um, you know, the the air temperature. You know, we it's sort of. Um, you know, backwards logic, but you know, the soil temperature can still be cool when it's really hot air temperature wise and that can stunt growth. Uh, so that's another thing to, to think about. And then just picking a cultivar that works best. You know, some of those peppers that, you know, that are like the really, people love those really hot spicy peppers. A lot of those are from countries that are very hot uh, and we aren't hot enough to get them to grow effectively and their season is much longer here in Nebraska. And so you don't get really production until the season's almost over, if at all. I think the best way to actually grow peppers is to let someone who goes to farmer's market grow them. <laughs> that's, that's way easier. Just go buy them that somebody else figured out. Mm -hmm. All right, we have time for kind of one more quick question, uh, like 30 seconds or less. So we'll pop down to you. And the question came from a viewer who wants to know, when is it time to do grub control for those Japanese beetles? <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't work very well. Um, 
in order to control them. If you have grub damage in your yard, yes, you can control what's in your yard, but that's about as far as it will go. Yeah. Japanese beetles have a little bit extended growing period in the spring, so you can use a curative then. Uh, but you have to wait till the adults are out to use that preventative product, which is typically put on for our normal grubs in early to mid-June. So that actually extends about three or four weeks later. All right, Japanese thank beetles. you, Wayne.